This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific and Applied Biosystems' new Qualtrack real-time PCR and digital PCR solutions for biopharma. Give your cell and gene therapy development an edge with reliable and accurate qPCR and dPCR workflows backed by a trusted supplier. Explore the complete ecosystem of CGMP-compliant qPCR and dPCR assays, master mixes, and instruments at thermofisher.com slash qPCR slash biopharma. Hi, listeners, and welcome to this episode of Selling the Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and on today's episode, my guest is Cartesian Therapeutics, Dr. Metin Kurtoglu, Chief GMP Manufacturing and CMO. Uh, if you're a longtime listener to Cell and Gene, the podcast, you know Metin's colleagues have been guests on the pod before, uh, CEO Dr. Marit Kalalalu and Dr. Michael Singer. Uh, each episode features different topics, so be sure to check those out too. But for today, I'm thrilled to have Metin with us. Metin, thank you for being here. No, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. And just a little simplification of the title there. People started to think, what does it mean, GMP manufacturing and the CMO at the same time? <laughs> so it has now recently been changed to chief operating officer to make it a little bit more clear. So that's that's became my new official title, just for the record. <laughs> well, that's perfect. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, that actually leads us right into the first question I have for you, which is a it's kind of plays right off of that, which is talk to us a little bit about your background. Uh, and how you came to be the COO of uh, Cartesian Therapeutics. Yeah, thank you. Well, that combination of two names, I guess, gave it, right? The GMP manufacturing and the CMO. So my background is I'm a MD, PhD, um, trained as an internal medicine specialist and then as a medical oncologist. And, um, and uh, my PhD was in, in cell biology, more specifically in cancer biology. And um, I was an academician trying to do both of these things. So trying to see patients and, and trying to uh, do some research in the lab. And um, Cartesian Therapeutics gave me an offer where I can continue to do both of those in an, um, in an outside academic setting, which I believe is not typical. Um, so I, I found myself uh, getting into trying to develop uh, our GMP manufacturing platform. Um, that we now call RNA Armory. Um, and as well as I try to help uh, leading the trials uh, that we designed in the past five, six years since we opened the company uh, that are in several different indications. So I got, I was fortunate enough to use both of my backgrounds um, on one job. <laughs> and that's how I became uh, eventually a chief operating officer of Cartesian Therapeutics. Uh, you mentioned clinical trials and that's where I want to go to next. So Talk to our listeners and give us a, an overview of Cartesian cell therapies that are that are currently in clinical trials. Sure, um, be happy to. So, when we first started, uh, we started with an autologous product. Um, the uh, lead product is Descartes Eight. Uh, the name is Descartes Eight, and um, the concept is well, the chimeric antigen receptor uh, transfected or transduced uh, the right term. Uh, cells were doing amazing things, as we know. Now we have six approved therapies in B-cell malignancies and multiple myeloma. But uh, these uh, therapies were also pretty toxic. Um, I was a medical oncologist at NIH, and I had a chance to see this at first hand, actually, five, six 
six years ago when it was first being developed. And it was it was a hurdle to make sure that you take care of a CAR T treated patient uh, to avoid the toxicities or when if they happen to make sure they don't become fatal because they can. So we thought that's great, but you know it would be hard to get this out of uh, especially lapsed refractor oncology like take it to say a frontline setting in oncology or other diseases because these are toxicities just wouldn't be tolerated in other settings. So we, how can we make this more safe? And that's how we started to think about engineering cells with RNA, which was you know, established before, uh, in, even in the climatic antigen receptor world. And uh, we picked our first target multiple myeloma as a disease and developed our autologous uh, CAR T cell program. Um, that is against multiple myeloma, started with Descartes 8 and, and also added Descartes 11. While doing that, we started to get really comfortable with um, transfecting cells with RNA at a very large scale. So we realized that in the um, uh, CAR T cell world, before when people uh, uh, tried this, the scales were not high enough. I mean, in the you usually in the clinical trials, when you give these CAR T cells, the cell numbers are in the hundreds of millions. And in the RNA cell, when you do this with RNA, you just need more cells. So uh, we got comfortable doing that. And as we started doing that, we said, how can we make an allogenic product? Because autologous is great. And I'm happy to talk even more about the clinical experience on that. It's exciting, but it's also not easy. It requires a lot of backs and forths and make sure everything is done at the right time. Uh, patients uh, remain off treatment while these things are being produced for, 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 uh, for the most part. So it would be great to have something uh, off the shelf. And uh, we got into our allogenic program that now um, made two different products. One is Descartes 30 and the other one is Descartes 25 and for two different indications. Um, so for Descartes 30, actually the um, inspiration there was COVID. Uh, so we said, mm -hmm. well, COVID kills through a bad pneumonia. What can we do about just bad pneumonia so that hopefully COVID would pass and it looks like it's hopefully passing now. And, but pneumonia will stay, especially bad pneumonia. So what can we do about that? So that's what we made the Descartes 30 allogenic product focused on to treat uh, severe pneumonia or ARDS or adult respiratory distress syndrome. And Descartes 25 is focused on treating multiple myeloma again, but that product is one, allogeneic. So it's different from our original autologous product. And two, it has this uh, very complicated um, engineering in it that we are proud of because we were able to put not just one gene, just like which is like in CAR T cells, you only put one gene in there. We were able to put three different mRNAs into that product to give really a great, great potency to it. So we're really excited that we're going to be testing a product like that in clinic. Actually, started to test it and start already started in one patient. So that's the um, scope of the trials that are uh, that are being overseen uh, by me now in CAR T. That's fantastic, and I think that's even. Uh more trials than I was even aware of uh, since we last spoke. So that's fantastic. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, kind of the experience for the patient from the beginning of the process. So all of De the Descartes trials, talk to us about the patient experience from the beginning. How are the cells harvested, sent to the manufacturing facility, in other words, how is the RNA being harvested? Can you talk us through that? Sure, happy to. So um, again, so there are two products, right? Autologous and allogeneic, and these are uh, different pathways uh, for making them. On the autologous, first you need to collect the cells themselves uh, from the patient. And again, maybe the key point that we wanna emphasize here that RNA cell therapy as compared to conventional RNA therapeutics like vaccines, 
the cell is also a drug there, right? It's not just RNA. The cell itself is also doing a, a lot of functions that is helping us here. So in the autologous product, um, the cells are harvested from the body. And the shipping of that is, nowadays actually has become a lot more um, easy to do as compared to five years ago, thanks to approval of CAR-T therapies. Um, this kind of uh, shipment is being done now by several companies. Having said that, uh, for our product specifically, it is incredibly important to salvage every cell. So I have to say we've done a little bit more extensive optimization from a patient experience. This doesn't change, uh, the, the scenario doesn't change then other CAR T cell collection. So let me first make that clear. So from a patient perspective, it is still coming in a day into a clinic, uh, sitting in a chair for a machine for two hours, maximum four hours, depending on how the collection, how the machine is processing the cells and these cells collected into bags and the patient is done. So that process is basically, I think, the cell collection as far as I know for any CAR T cell therapy. Now the key becomes after you put those cells into a bag outside the body where hey, they don't have all the food and the oxygen that we provide to them, you want to make sure you keep them alive until it hits the manufacturing room where we'll get, go back to, into these nutrients and supplements that they would be happy at. So it is really important to keep the cells alive there. Now for, again, DNA engineered cell therapies, where at the end, theoretically, you need one cell to uh, infuse the people, these limits are much more flexible. So maybe they can start with lower amount of cells because they need lower amount of cells. But for RNA cell therapy, where cell number is a lot higher, we really try to make sure that we do some tricks in there to keep those cells nice and happy until they come to us. Um, so then patient is actually off the clinic as far as they're concerned, and they just wait until the cells are done. Now, um, this is at this point, the uh, cells behave very differently from person to person. And, um, and again, we also have to make uh, really a lot of cells, like billions and uh, close to trillions of cells. Uh, so to be able to do that, you need some time. And that time can change anywhere from five to six days to probably maximum two weeks uh, when at least it comes to for our products. And I believe for the other even CAR TSAP programs, this is around days to a week. Um, so um, for our cells, they need to go for a little more. So maybe just a few more days there, uh, but not maximum than two weeks where the patients wait and for those cells to be done and sent back to the clinic. Um, so the um, RNA part, the RNA harvesting part, if you will, uh, comes in when we are doing uh, when we are engineering these cells outside in our labs or outside the body in our labs here in Gaithersburg, Maryland, um, where we're taking them through a process uh, where in brief <laughs> opens uh, the cells, uh, pours in the cells and sticks uh, things into it. This is done for um, many different, um, to put anything into the cell. This has been done historically for a long time, but to do that in a nice and gentle way, I guess, is, is, was the hard trick. So we find ways where we can do that, where stick those RNAs into the cell uh, itself. And now the cell captures the RNA and starts making these therapeutic proteins that comes out of these RNA. And once we check that that is done, that, that RNA, the cells are captured the RNA, they're in good shape, they're synthesizing these proteins, uh, we freeze them um, so that now they can be stable for years actually in a freezer. Because um, so with RNA cell therapy, another difference is you usually end up giving cells in multiple fractions. And the reason for that is because unlike other DNA engineered cell therapies here, the product has a half-life, just like any other drug that we take. And that actually is the power of the product because now you have the control of how much activity 
you want to have in the body such that it doesn't reach to those toxic levels, right? So you basically dose titrate, like the way that you do with the other drugs. And that requires basically multiple dosing over sometimes a very long time. Like for example, this latest program, Descartes 25, use cells over months. So those cells, once they are not done, they need to just stay there stable for months to years. Um, and that can do that reason, frozen. Um, and that's uh, minus 70 or below, so it's pretty cold. Uh, so not like your general uh, fridge freezer, if you will, that you can keep it at household. So it needs to be a little colder than that. Um, so, um, and that's how we ship them to the clinic in a cold environment like that. And just like the way the cells are now being transported uh, by very, you know, really well-developed carriers over the past five years, thanks to core therapy. Uh, this part is also done well. So there's really nice carriers out there who can really nice, nice job to bring those cells back to the clinic where the patient comes back to. So it's been say two weeks. Now they come back and now it's time to get the cells, uh, the infusion. Now here's where we also differ a lot from uh, in terms of CAR-T, for example, autologous program, uh, differs a lot from other CAR-Ts because for other CAR-Ts, first you need to get some chemo to be able to get those cells in. That's just the way it works. Um, Whereas in ours, you don't need that because the cells are already in their very much active state. They don't need that chemo to get activated, if you will. So we can give them with no chemo. Basically, the patient comes back, sits on the chair. We hook them up to this normal infusion line like you normally hook up to any other drug. And the cells just go on this normal line into their vein, just like any other drug does. And within like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, that's just a simple infusion. Um, we usually keep them in the clinic for an hour or two just to make sure everything goes well. And then they just go out of the clinic and go basically back to their lives. Um, we have to do that because um, uh, we have a program um, and believe it is actually the first CAR-T program in an autoimmune disease. Uh, the disease is myasthenia gravis. So here the patients are not, uh, you know, relapsed refractory cancer patients. Uh, they're usually, you know, active, young, working. The disease is manageable with more with the daily life. And because of that, it is really important that they don't take too much time off for treatments or else the treatment really is not feasible, actually. So we have to make sure that we keep them in the clinic for a short time uh, with no complications. And so far, so good. <laughs> so patients have been leaving in an hour or two and without any problems, just going back to their lives until the next infusion. And that changes depending on the program. Some programs give it uh, bi-weekly, sometimes weekly. Uh, and, but that all the, the experience is the same. You just come to the clinic, get hooked up for um, 15, 30 minutes, and then go back to your normal life. Um, so RNA cell therapies can provide that. Thank you. That was very thorough. And I really appreciate the explanation. That's great. Um, I want to talk a little bit about specifically the manufacturing portion of this. Um, it's one of not only your, but Cartesian's areas of expertise. And so I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about this, specifically the manufacturing component of this. Um, what would you say, how, how far would you say have the manufacturing of LNA, RNA, excuse me, RNA cell therapies, how far has it come? Where do you want to see it go in in the very short term, couple of years, handful of years here? Um, I think uh, our mission, at least, is to see RNA cell therapies outside the lab refractory oncology where they're really showing their full capacity. And what I mean by full capacity is um, I think we touched upon this in, in, in our earlier conversation. The cells can be transfected with multiple uh, protein therapeutics. 
Um, and that's a huge power. Now that opens up possibilities in, uh, in cardiac and respiratory, like the way we were doing in severe pneumonia, uh, or the multiple myeloma, like we were doing in the CAR-25, where you can attack the disease in multiple ways. So we would love to be able to see these products up and developed in indications that are uh, either in even frontline oncology or, or outside oncology to really show the world that self-therapy is, is just a medicine in its own. And then uh, it's not just confined to uh, and just few rare diseases or, or fatal diseases. Um, and we hope that we'll be able to do that in the next few years. Good, good, thanks. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about the, the post-care for the patient. Uh, it does seem like a very streamlined process, one that has been honed very successfully. Um, once the patient leaves the clinic, what's next? Do they do they need to continue to come back? Kind of what's the, paint that picture for us. Sure. So um, as we t uh, painted that picture just a, a little bit uh, a few minutes ago, so our, our uh, experience, our patient's experience after the infusion is a little different than the DNA engineered cell therapies in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of acute toxicities uh, in the in the DNA engineered cells. So it's like a cytokine release syndrome, neurotoxicities. So patients can be kept inside the hospital or usually around the clinic to make sure that they're monitored for those toxicities and, and then medical interventions are usually necessary. Whereas in our case, uh, patients are take this in a completely an outpatient clinic actually we do have some centers that are just like normal community clinics uh, that has a normal outpatient uh, schedule and no inpatient capability. Um, and uh, even in those clinics, they just uh, get their cells, um, get monitored for maybe an hour or two, depending on the indication. And they just leave uh, the clinic until the next infusion, just like they would do for many other biologic drugs. Um, it would be in an hour or two infusion. And then you leave until you see the next infusion. That was very thoughtful explanation. Thank you. Um, we've reached the formal end of our discussion. And um, just like your colleagues, I asked them uh, what they like to do on the weekend. And so I'm going to ask you the same thing. So when you're not in the office or the lab and uh, giving your all to Cartesian, what do you like to do on the weekend? Uh that's that's a limited time nowadays with the four <laughs> clinical programs I'm doing. But uh, I'm so, sure. My time is very much uh, uh, I'm not, uh, very much dictated <laughs> by my two uh, sons um, and then how they behave because one is four-year-old and the other one's two-year-old and everybody would probably know exactly what that means. And then these are two boys. And so they pretty much tell us, well, my, me and my wife, how our Saturday are going to go by. And if the uh, brain synapses on that day have worked out the way they work good, <laughs> then we have an awesome day, actually. And it's a lot of fun, usually outside. We love being outside. Um, if it's wintertime, usually going to ski kind of things, or if it's, it's, it's summertime, hiking kind of things. And then uh, if it's one of those days where those synapses are not working, oh boy, <laughs> it's just a day of survival, usually, <laughs> until the weekend. And, <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah. it's just a great time to be with my kids, basically. That's wonderful. That's when they're great ages, but you, I completely understand they, what side of the bed they wake up on really does dictate how the rest of your yeah. day is going to go. So there you go. Exactly. <laughs> that's great. That's great. All right, listeners, that wraps up this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. Uh, be sure to visit cellandgene.com to sign up for our newsletter uh, and to be sure to check out the timely, insightful content that we publish daily. Uh, thanks again to Dr. Metten 
Cortuglu uh, of Cartesian Therapeutics. And Matt, it was great to have you. Thank you so much. Hey, this was great. Thanks so much. And I'll look forward to coming back again. Good, good. All right, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye.